Ezekiel chapter 38. We're going to continue our study on the, on the, the first the first battle of Gog and Magog, as we have looked at just a couple of the wars of the last days, the end time wars is what most people refer to them as. And I want you to be thinking ahead. What we're starting with tonight will go for another week, maybe, maybe two. But I want you to be thinking about where you would like to go. Now, if you want to look at all of these wars in brief, we can do that. Um, one night, I could just give you all of them, give, them, give you the high points of it, the references of it, then move on. And I have noticed, just like last week at the end of our study, there seems to be a great deal of interest, at least that's what it sounds to me, of what's going to happen in the millennial. I mean, how are people going to, for instance, populate the millennial? What's going to happen to the people at the end of the millennial when... Uh, Jesus comes back to judge planet earth and to set his uh, millennial kingdom up. What's going to happen? What, you know, who's going to be saved? Who's going to be taken in judgment? And all those kind of things. So be thinking about it. We can spend a couple of weeks on that. Or when we get done with these wars, we can go right back to the book of Romans uh, that we had started just a couple of months ago. So there's always options when you have the word of God. But last week... We uh, just want to do a, a quick review. If you remember, we look at the purpose. We looked at actually just one of the purposes uh, for the, this war that we have record of here um, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle of Gog and Magog, the first battle of Gog and Magog. And if you remember, I think the Word of God emphasizes the fact that, that God wants to be recognized, God wants to be glorified, and God wants to be known as the one true God who is sovereign, not only in heaven, but in earth too. But there is, there is another reason why God intervenes and does what he does in this battle. He's going to make sure that nobody annihilates his people, his chosen, the nation of Israel. And believe me, from the beginning, from the beginning, God, uh, Satan has tried to do that, tried to thwart God's plan, tried to, uh, to overtake him and make it impossible for his plan, his covenants, and his promises to be fulfilled. You see, God th or Satan thinks that if he can do away with the nation of Israel, that he'll prove God to be a liar, overthrow him, and then get his seat to where he himself will be God. I'm going to use real simple Boone County and Kanawha County language. That just ain't going to happen. Just ain't going to happen. So tonight, I want us to look at, just for a brief few minutes to get started on, I want us to look at what are the pre-conditions of this first battle of Gog and Magog. Does anybody, does anybody know what some of them may be? We're just going to look at a couple of them. Anybody remember that being mentioned as we have read through the, this chapter, chapter 38, and all the verses that we have? And if you don't, that's all right. That's why we're here to learn and me to share. Anybody? Well, let me give you one. And I believe this is, you've heard me use this word several times lately in the last couple of years especially. And if you ask me why I hadn't used it before, because it hadn't become a point of end time prophecy. It hadn't been happening like it is today. And the first one is convergence. Y'all remember, does anybody remember hearing me say the word at least? What is convergence, anybody? Simple definition. When things come together, 
Has anybody in here, and some of you are just a little older than me, I never will forget when it became real to me here at this church that I'm the oldest preacher here. Now that used to not be a thing for me. I used to be the youngest. But anyway, I'm happy with where I'm at. I really, I'm as content as you all may not uh, could really believe. But anybody in here ever remember when so many last day prophetic truths have come together as they are in the very day and the hour that we live in? Me either. Me either. And, and friend, listen, some of these big guys, I mean, these big prophetic guys like a David Reagan or a Ron Rhodes or other people like that that I, that I could mention, they're talking about convergence. So it's a, it's a big deal. And convergence has to do when these things that point towards, now listen to this, not the rapture of the church, everybody heard me say that, say amen, but the revelation of Jesus Christ If we're that close, listen, to that day when Jesus returns, not in the air to call us up, but when he returns to, I'm about to get happy. Matter of fact, I am happy. When he returns to Mount Olive, where he left from, if it is pointing to those days, and that day is at least seven years after we're gone, how close do you think it is tonight? I I know you've heard me say that for 18 years now. I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. That's what one of the prophets said, or Peter said, didn't he? Exactly. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like the Word of God says. I'll give him a quick rundown on it. None of these things like we're seeing today happen could happen until May 14, 1948, when the nation of Israel once again became an independent, sovereign state of its own. That was the moment that, 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 that prophecy began to be opened up. And I believe it was in the Six-Day War in 1967 when God put out his timepiece. You remember those old, those old wind-up clocks, the big bends? Y'all remember that? I still have mine out in my building. I hate it today. We'd wind that thing up when we first got married, and you know what? I couldn't go to sleep. It'd be tick, 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 tick. And the longer I lay there, the louder it got. It became, it became an off-time place in my sock drawer uh, area. That's where it was at. I couldn't hear it tick, but I could hear it ring. All right? So I believe that's when God pulled out the alarm button on that thing. And I believe, friend, listen, it's about to go off. I believe that with all of my heart. 1967 is when the nation of Israel once again reclaimed Jerusalem as its capital. Now you say, why aren't they doing more with Jerusalem than what they are now? Can anybody answer that biblically, prophetically? Because the times of the Gentile has not yet come to its end. It started when Nebuchadnezzar went in and overthrown, uh, took over Jerusalem, the nation of Israel in 80-some or 580-some, 86 maybe, and it's going to go for, well, until the time of the Gentiles is in. When will that be? Anybody take a gander guess at that? When will the end of the Gentiles come? When the last individual 
that is saved in the church and we're gone. Exactly right, Greg. The time of the Gentiles will be over. So that convergence. I, I like to point us all to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You hear me and Josh. You hear me and Josh quoting from that, preaching from that passage of Scripture often in these days. Y'all know when a Scripture becomes what I call real hot, there's a reason for it. When your pastors not only preach it, but other pastors often go into it and they make mention of it or give reference to it, there's always reasons for those kind of things. And in that, in those first, I believe it is, five verses, there are at least, my counting, and I've counted them a number of times, 19 different, uh, different characteristics of perilous times. And folks, we're in perilous times because we are in the last time. So the convergence idea is a real idea. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things that are being manifest in our day that's like that. Number two, and this is important, Israel must be in the land. Y'all remember how many, without knowing the exact number, how many, how many Jews are in the nation of Israel today and it's more Jews in Israel today than any other individual place around the world that's significant since the diaspora back in 70 AD I believe anybody know the number nine million plus or wait just a minute seven million plus they have a population of nine million seven ninety five so so there Israeli the nation national population of Jews is and I've got it written down seventy seven million one hundred eighty one thousand and change that's pretty now see that's exciting where's the next largest number of Jews located in the world New York isn't that amazing and we have seen a 400 percent rise in anti-semitism in just this year now, y'all do know, according to the book of Matthew 24, 9, that, that ye, Jesus said, ye shall be hated of all nations. That's not talking about a church. What's it talking about? A nation, i.e., the Jewish nation. That's it. So Israel is, is, is a big deal in this last day in so many ways, but they must be back in the land. And let's trace that out if we can. Let's... Uh, Let's back over in chapter 34, look at verse 13, and we'll come, we'll come forward. Now, this has to do, at least in this section of, uh, of Ezekiel, it has to do with uh, uh, the future kingdom of the son of David, of Jesus. So in chapter, in chapter 34, I want, to look, I want to look at verse 13. And while I'm at it, I'll just get 11, 12 with it to uh, just get the continuity. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them Look at that phrase. I've got that thing underlined three times. To their own land. Let me say it again. I've said it often. They're not in occupied territory. They're in coveted territory that belongs to them. And feed them upon the mountains of Israel, right where that war is going to be fought, of Ezekiel 38 and 39, by the rivers and in all the inhabitants, or the inhabited places 
of the country. Look at 36 and 24. 36 and 24. I'm going to pick up verse 23 with it. He said, and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, meaning by his people, the nation of Israel, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you in to your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. Let's get another one in chapter 37 and verse, verse 12. And I'll pick it up in verse 11. He said, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now this is the prophecy of the valley of dry bones. And as you read above this, when you read it again in chapter 37, this prophecy is fulfilled progressively. It doesn't, it doesn't get fulfilled the moment that Ezekiel begins to prophesy to the bones when they begin to rattle and come together. That's the first step. And after that, the sinews come on. After that, the breath of life is breathed into them. At least that's the three major things. Look at verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you in to the land of Israel. I'm reading on. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, brought you up out of your graves and ye shall and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land and then shall you know that I the Lord have spoken it and performed it saith the Lord y'all know what I say about that I say glory to God will you turn one place else with me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 16 let me share with you a great a great passage of scripture we're look at verses we're going to look at verses um, uh, 14 and, and 15. Oh, I love the Word of God. <laughs> you know that three times by the time God fulfills the prophecies that we're reading about, God will have delivered the nation of Israel. What's the first time? When He delivered them out of Egypt, right? That was a high watermark for that nation. Who could forget those 400 plus years in Egypt. Who could forget that God sent a man by the name of Moses accompanied by a man by the name of Aaron who was his older brother that, that God used to bring a multitude out of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? What was the next time God brought them out of captivities? The Babylonian and Assyrian. There are two. We'll just refer to them as one. The Assyrians, they had the uh, the, the tribes of Ephraim or Israel, the ten tribes of the north. And down in the, in the southern end, the tribe of Judah, which was also the tribes of Judah and uh, Benjamin, but they refer to it as, as Judah. So those two tribes were brought out of the uh, captivity of Babylon. But now look at this with those two things in the mind. Jeremiah said, Therefore, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it, will be no, that, that it shall no more be said, 
the Lord liveth that brought up the children out of the land of Egypt. What's the next word? But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of the north from all lands, whether he hath driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I have given unto their fathers. Isn't that amazing? Does that touch you like it touches me? Hey, it used to be that they bragged on God for bringing them up out of Egypt. What a great feat that was. That there's still going to be a day, it's yet to be fulfilled, when they'll praise God for bringing them out of the graves of the nations where he buried them. I say glory. I'm happy about that. That, to me, is exciting. And, and the last thing I'll mention on this, as far as precondition, Israel has to be back in the land in safety. Now, I'm not going to read the verses that go with that. We could. But let me ask you, and there's one other thing too I'll get. What, what, does, what does that mean? Does anybody know? Have you ever done any reading and studying on it to where somebody has written a, an argument, we'll say, or, or a, a rational reason that says, you know, that sounds right to me because no one I've ever read after can pinpoint what the idea of when Israel will be considered to be dwelling in safety. Anybody? When they can't conceive to being attacked, when will that be? When will that be? Well, that, that, won't, that won't be a thing in the millennial. There won't, be a, there won't be a fear of this army coming against them at that time. But you're on to something, Tim. Keep going. You, you, you want to try again? Okay, well, honestly, you are. It is very possible, and I've not, I've, not, I've not 100% bought into this, it's very possible that after the Antichrist makes that kingdom with them, that will be when. But see, my problem is with that. That doesn't happen until the beginning of the tribulation, and I believe that the war of Gog and Magog, the first battle, will take place prior to that. And I'll give you my reasons why. We're heading that way here tonight. But you're on something that has some real plausibility to it, okay? I mean, you, you can make a good argument for that, and I just gave you the foundation of it. Anybody else? Do you all know it's possible with all the military might the nation of Israel has, they consider themselves to be dwelling in safety? You want to say anything on what maybe a little bit you want to say about where they stand militarily and in self-defense? And I'm not trying to, I never try to put this man on, on the spot, but I never get his permission before either because I don't think of these questions. You got anything you want to comment on that? Y'all remember the t-shirt Abraham wanted to sell us, don't you, Greg? All right, where's it at and what is it? That, that is true. Now, see, I, I, I read and hear men both speak as well as I read their words. They, uh, they say, well, they've got walls around Israel. I mean, the, 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 um, uh, the Hamas just breached their security gate. But because they've got security around something doesn't mean they're not dwelling in safety or they're not dwelling securely. I mean, I like the plausibility of what Tim brought up and what you said, but I'm going to stick with Mike on this one. I think it will be before that time. And again, keep these things in mind and let me share with you why I think it's going to happen when it may happen. 
I mean, here's the deal. I don't know, but I know one that does. And see, that excites the life out of me. Do you all know I think God puts into the Word of God some unsureties? If that's a, is that a, even a word? Anybody? Well, it is now. <laughs> okay. They, they don't have a lack of, uh, of, of surety about they're in the land to stay, just like Mike said. Uncertainty. Yeah. They have no uncertainty about that. Thank you, Judy. And, and that, that is without a doubt. A doubt, and although they have like walls around Jerusalem, around that around that city that separates them from Israel, they're so close to it, and great security getting in, in, in and out. That doesn't mean they're afraid of who's in Jerusalem because they're not. They they get aggravated with them all the time. Is what it is. It's kind of like a gnat going against an elephant. I thought y'all might like that, but you didn't. I did. But it's my thought, isn't it? But anyway, that's one of the, that's one of the things. And let me give you the last thing. And I didn't think, I didn't intend to get into all these, but the Holy Spirit. Look, look at with me, if you, if you will, verse 12 and 13. If, if you remember, God told us over in the beginning in chapter 38, verse 4, I believe it is, God would put a hook in the jaws of this Gog, this chief leader of, of all of this lands and people, Magog and the others. And he said, I'll bring you down. Now, here's the hook, so to speak, verses 12 and 13. He said, look, to take a spoil and to take prey, uh, prey uh, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all their young lions, therefore sh- shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Do you remember I mentioned to you some of the wealth that was down in the Dead Sea? There's like 200 and, and uh, uh, there's, there's 400, wait just a minute, there's 45 billion tons of Dead Sea minerals down there valued, somebody says, and this is a round off, okay, guesstimation, <laughs> trillions of dollars. Isn't that amazing? They're wealthy. You remember I mentioned the shell oil that they've located? You remember the gas deposits that lay under them? And if you remember, I told you the shell oil deposits are almost as great as Saudi Arabia's. That's amazing. So there's a lot of reason to pull them down there, but can I give you the one that really matters? It's God's will. It's God's will. If there wasn't oil, if there wasn't gas, if there weren't cattle, if there wasn't silver and gold and all this stuff, and God wanted them there, guess where they're going to go? They're going to go where God wants them to go. I don't know that they have massive diamond mines, Judy, but they have a great massive diamond trade. They are, if I remember right, and I'm, did you go? Did you go to? Okay, every time we go to Israel, they want to take you to the diamond factory in the Galilean area. You know, they cut diamonds there, they polish. So there's a very great and large trade of diamonds that's trafficked through Israel. I don't know. I don't recall that they have any diamond mines per se. Good question, though. Good, good comment. So that brings us. 
that brings us to one other thing, and that's probably as far as we'll get. Let's, let's look over here, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 38. There, there's one thing we haven't looked at, and I think it's important. We'll, we'll start on the timing, or I'll maybe stick my foot through the door tonight of that, uh, about that. We've not talked about how this war was going to be won. How's it going to be won, anybody? By God. I'm going to use the word supernaturally. The children of Israel are not going to fight. I was reading today, I was studying the book of Zechariah, reading a book by David Levy as, uh, as, as my helping book, a great commentator from uh, the Friends of Israel. And by the way, there are several Friends of Israel magazines back in our welcome center in the, in the rack over behind the desk. They're, they're there for anybody that wants to take them. If you like to read some good articles, I'd say go for it. Now, I don't like their version that they write in. It's generally the New King James. But I've learned over the years not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, to tell you, you can get a lot of good information. They're just, they're, they're just good. But anyway, I just, that just came to my mind. Uh, but uh, as we looked today, I looked today and was reading Zechariah. Uh, the Bible says that God is once again going to fight for the nation of Israel like he used to. He's going to intervene in supernatural ways. Does anybody remember on the night that Gideon and his buddy went down to view the Midianites in the valley, um, what they heard? You remember what happened? You know, when they began to uh, break their pitchers and shine their light and toot their horns, they cried out and said, this is none other but the sword of, of Gideon. And they got so confused and so frightened that they killed each other. That's a supernatural thing. Do you remember one time when they were going into the land of promise that God sent a, sent a what would you call a bunch of bees? A beavy? What are they? That's, not, that's for something else. A hive or a, a swarm? A big, more than a hive. A swarm of hornets to get defeat over an enemy. Isn't that amazing? I, that, that kind of stuff just absolutely wears me out. So listen to what he said. There's going to be like uh, four different things that God does, and we're going to read them. He said, for in my jealousy, and he's talking about the jealousy for the children of Israel, his chosen, the apple of his eye, his son, his, his elect. He said, in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Listen, God puts his wrath off. He stores it up. But oh, my friend, when it's unleashed, you better look out. He said, surely in that day, there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. It's so great that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the heaven, and the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Isn't that amazing? God's going to send a great earthquake. You reckon that's when the mosque of Omar is going to come down on Mount Moriah? Do you ever think about things like that? I wouldn't be surprised if in one of these wars, one of those missiles coming out of Gaza would go off course and hit that thing and blow it up. Yeah, it'd be a shame. I'd cry all night. I mean, it's possible. 
God's got a great sense of humor out on him, but there's going to be a making, a, way, a making of a way for the nation of Israel to begin and to construct its third temple. It's going to happen. Rest assured, I'll guarantee it. Several of us, did you make it to the uh, Institute of, of Temple Mount Studies? Yes. They've already got them made. And they're ready to begin on building the temple too. So anyway, and he said, number two, I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountain, saith the Lord, and every man's sword shall be against his brother. The Kirkistans will turn against the Kukistans. I'm not looking at my stand list. Meshach and Tubal will go at it against each other. Gomer will beat up on Magog. Are y'all with me? They'll begin to slaughter their self. People aren't right when that thing, that kind of stuff happens. Something supernatural has to motivate that. He said, number, number three in verse 22, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon, wait this minute, that's the fourth one. Pestilence. How many of you since 2019 or late 2019, early 20 and 21, now y'all go home and have nightmares and you can blame me for it, know what a pestilence is? They named it right, didn't they? A pest. Y'all, y'all not liking anything tonight, are you? What did y'all eat before you come here tonight? Number, number, number three. And he said there would be an over... Number four, right? Number four. And he said, There will be an overflowing of rain and great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Isn't that amazing? And God will destroy them on the mountains of Israel. They'll not have to use their ammunitions, their ordinances, their, their IDF, boots on the ground, the, um, the, the, the uh, uh, ships on the sea, the planes in the sky. They, they won't be involved. This is a God thing. This is a God thing. And he goes on and ends the chapter saying, Thus will I magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Y'all know what? I'd rather meet him in another way, wouldn't you? Men have two chances, two different options about how to meet Christ. One is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world or the Lamb, uh, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King, if you will. Now, let me, let me kind of wet the tongue for us for next week. Has anybody got any idea, have you given any thought as to when maybe what your opinion is to when this war will happen? We know without a doubt when the last battle of Gog and Magog will be fought. It'll be at the end, it'll be at the end, the very end of the millennial reign of Christ, right before eternity, right before the white throne judgment of God. But have you given any thought when this war may come to pass? I like that phrase, they'll feel comfortable. Now, something's got to happen to make that happen, doesn't it, uh, brother? It certainly, certainly does. Yeah. I'm glad to see them making that move on the Houthis and on Iran. On Iran. Well, yeah, but you can't whip up on them and send them billions of dollars on crates. You know, you remember who did that? Should I say Obama? Oh, oh my. 
And anywhere you go from around the world, at least around that area, you're going up to Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says, going up. Well, let me give you a couple of things. I like the thought, like all those thoughts. I like to know more about it. I'd like to know a lot more about a lot of things. There's, there's several possibilities that I've read, and some of them I just discount right from the beginning. For instance, some people believe that this war will happen right at the beginning of the tribulation. I discount that because, listen, if you read on into chapter 39, and we haven't even stepped our foot in that water, there's going to be a seven-year period of time to where the nation of Israel is going to be burning, and I don't understand this yet like I would like, all the weapons of war that this great army brings down uh, from the north parts, the northern parts. So there's got to be, I think, a little more time for that than the seven years of the tribulation. Somebody else said that it's going to be at the end of the tribulation. There's no way that that war can be fought at the end of the tribulation, in my opinion. Others think that it will be at the beginning of the millennium. To me, that's as nonsensical as saying it's going to be at the end of the tribulation. It just won't fit when you begin to deal with all the parts of this war and what's going on and what the nation of Israel has to do, how their land has to be cleaned and what the purpose behind that is all about. Others believe that it could be before the rapture and the tribulation. That's plausible, I think, too. That's, that's, that's a very plausible possibility. And others think that it's going to be at the midpoint of the tribulation. I can't see that either because of the time element, the seven years that are needed. But here's mine, and I'm going to give it to you next week. I believe with all of my heart it's going to be after the rapture and before the tribulation. Now let me say this. The tribulation does not begin on the same day that the rapture takes place. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. For years, I've been in the ministry 46 years, and probably 40 years of them, maybe not that many. I don't know when I came across this, how many years ago, but it's been several. So I'll be conservative and say 35 years ago. I, I, I believe with all of my heart, I used to believe with all of my heart that when the rapture took place, the tribulation began. The day of the Lord set in. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the rapture is going to take place and there will be some span of time that will pass before the tribulation sets in. Satan won't be able to make that covenant with Israel immediately. There's going to have to be a series of things that happen and fall in place before that will even be made possible or feasible. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is, no doubt in my mind. But I believe that the rapture will create such chaos throughout the world that there will have to be a time of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone help me. What? Organization is a good word. Any other? Transition, thank you. A time of transition between that happening and between the onset of the tribulation. I, I, have you all ever sat and thought, meditated, laid and thought in the wee hours of the morning, what kind of hellish world this is going to be after the church is gone? I can't, and I'm glad I'm not going to be here too. 
And that's not even going to be the worst of it yet, Gray. Hell is not going to be released on earth at that time yet. Now, a lot of people separate the tribulation, that seven-year period of time, which is Daniel's 70th week, which is a seven-year period of time, that final week of the 70th, 70 weeks of Daniel's prophetic word. It's broken up into two halves, three and a half years or, 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 or 60, 40, 42 months. Six and a, yeah, 42 months and 42 months or three and a half years. And they say the last three and a half are, quote, the great tribulation. Now, it's going to be greater for the nation of Israel than it is anybody else. I won't deny that. But I believe all of it from, from Revelation 6 in chapter 6, verses 1 or 2, where the first seal is broken and that, that white horse rider comes out. Okay, I believe it starts, the great tribulation starts there. and goes all the way to the book of Revelation chapter 19, but that's me. But, but that handout that I gave you on the, on the 10 days, I don't, what's it called, Debbie? Have you got yours? I don't have mine up here. Anybody read it. The 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. Y'all read that. Read, see what you think about it. Time's up. We'll talk more about it. I could talk on and on and on, you know. So we'll talk more about it next week. Anybody comments or question? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see the reason and rationale. But again, like we've already said and others have said, they're confident today. They're not afraid to fight a war, but they are confident, man. They have no doubts, no doubts at all. They don't understand God like we do, but they knew, do know there is a God. They do, the, the Old Testament is their Bible. It's their life. It's their national history. And they know it pretty well. All right, let's see.